Well, amen. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, choir, orchestra, Megan, all of you. The Bible records 222 specific prayers. 176 of them are found in the Old Testament, and 46 of them are found in the New Testament. I suppose the two with which we are most familiar were prayers prayed by Jesus. There's what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. Most of us have memorized that prayer, and in some churches it's recited each week. It is actually a model prayer. It is an outline through which we learn to pray. The second prayer is the high priestly prayer that is found in John chapter 17. Now what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer is a model, an outline from which you can learn to pray. The prayer that is found in John chapter 17 is actually the Lord's Prayer. That is Jesus praying. Luther wrote, it is indeed above measure a fervent, heartfelt prayer in which he revealed and poured out the depth of his heart both toward us and toward his Father. Augustine wrote, a stream wherein the lamb may wade and the elephant swim. Dwight Pentecost wrote, we have before us one of the most intimate glimpses anywhere in scripture of the mind and heart of the Lord as he led in prayer. As we look at that prayer, the first five verses, verses one through five, Jesus prayed for himself. Verses six through 19, he prayed for his disciples. And verses 20 through 26, he prayed for the church that would be born as a result of their ministry. Today we're going to look at a portion of that prayer. I say a portion because it is far too extensive for us to be able to deal with it in one message. So we're going to look at a portion of it. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17, and we'll begin reading in verse number 13. This is a portion of the, the prayer. But now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not, even of, uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. 
As we look at this prayer, there are some things I want you to see with me, and the first is the idea of separation. As followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus, we know that we are to be separated from the world or separated from sin, but we do not withdraw from the world. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 that a man does not light a candle and then hide the light with a basket. And yet that is our temptation. It is our temptation as believers and followers of Christ to want to withdraw from the world when Christ has put us here to be his light. That was true in the early church, and certainly we understand that. I understand the desire, because I have it as well, that sometimes we want to withdraw from this world. That was true of the early church, because they lived in a sinful world, a sinful society. In their world, a, a woman was a man's property. So a man could divorce his wife for essentially any reason he decided. He, he would write her a certificate of divorce and tell her that she was divorced. She had no recourse because she was the property of man. That was the world in which they found themselves. In Roman society, a father decided if a child would live or die. When a baby was born, if the father gave a thumbs up, the child would live. If the father gave a thumbs down, then the baby would not live. It was a very hostile environment for believers. We know that the disciples were jailed, they were beaten, they were martyred. We are familiar with all of those things. Therefore, there was the temptation, the tendency for those early Christians to withdraw from the world. John Baptist he spent a lot of his ministry in the desert. I think a part of it was a withdrawal because it gave him time to be with the Lord unhindered. The Essenes, the Essenes were a group of people who withdrew from the world down in the desert area of Qumran. The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible says they were holy men and holy warriors, industrious workers and writers, but they were a group of people who withdrew from the world and established a village by Qumran. Some of you have been to Israel. You have seen the remains or you have seen the ruins that are there of this little village where these people live. It was destroyed in about 68 AD by the Roman military. The early church, there was that tendency to withdraw. They wanted to withdraw from the world. That was also true in the medieval period, though it was a little more systematic. In the medieval period, they established the monasteries where people could withdraw from the world into a monastery. Some of you have been to Greece and have seen some of the monasteries there, those columns, those rock columns on which they built a monastery on top. It was an attempt to get away from the world, to get away from all the sin of the world, the problem is, however, they did not escape sin because they took it with them. The homiletic commentary says, Within those monastic cells were true-hearted men and women who earnestly followed Christ. But for the most part, men and women took the world with them into the monastery and convent till these often became centers of darkness instead of light. 
There's a desire to get away from sin. We, we have that desire. We have that temptation. We want to get away from sin. The problem is, is that we can withdraw, but we take our sin with us because sin is not geographic. It is a matter of the heart. You and I also are tempted to withdraw, are we not? This world sometimes becomes increasingly uncomfortable to us and we would like to withdraw from this world. And so there are those who choose to separate themselves from the world, followers of Christ who separate themselves from the world. In fact, uh, when we gather for worship on Sunday, we gather in a, in a sanctuary, a place of refuge, a place of withdrawal. And we want to come together and here we are as believers and followers of Christ who believe the word and so we withdraw. And I'm not saying anything bad about that. I'm just saying that's our tendency. That's what we do. There are business people who are Christians and they want to withdraw from the world. They want to practice their business as a Christian to withdraw from the world. I remember when we had... Uh, Christian Yellow Pages, and there's Christian Radio, and Christian Television, and so forth. And so there is that tendency, there is that desire to withdraw from the world. Withdraw from politics. Politics is a sinful, it is an evil environment. Don't want to be, don't want to be involved in it, so I withdraw from it. I don't even vote because I'm more pure than that. There is the desire in some to withdraw from the world. Christians oftentimes want to take the light that they have and hide it under a basket, withdraw. There are those who desire to withdraw and then there is also pressure for us to separate. In verse 14, Jesus prayed, I have given them thy word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. There is pressure on us from the world to separate. You see, the truth is, there is the desire that we have to withdraw from the world and there is the desire that the world has that we withdraw from the world as well. There, there's pressure that comes upon us from the government that we do not participate as followers of Christ. And they oftentimes refer to the separation of church and state. You're not to be involved because there is separation of church and state. Now we know that within its historic context, separation of church and state was to protect the church from the state, but it has been reversed today, and so it is for the state to be protected from the church. The government says to us that we have freedom of worship. I oftentimes hear people say we have to protect the freedom of worship. That's not what the founders gave us. They gave us freedom of religion. You might ask, well, what is the difference between freedom of worship and freedom of religion? Freedom of worship means that we can come within these walls. We can sing whatever we wish. We can preach whatever we wish. We can believe whatever we wish. Freedom of religion means that I can practice what I believe. And so the government says to us, then you need to have your worship protected, but you cannot practice what you believe outside the walls of the church. Case in point, you're familiar with the bakery that refused to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding and then they were fined and subsequently they lost their business as a result of the pressure that came from the government. Education pressures us to stay out of education. Don't bring your Bible. You know when I was in school this would be a surprise to some of you younger ones. 
When I was in school, they actually, the Gideons actually gave us Bibles for memorizing Scripture. That was a part of it. But today you don't take your Bible, you, you don't sing Christmas carols at Christmas time and so forth because education pressures us to stay out of education. Even biz, business pressures us to withdraw, to separate, not to be involved. The so-called bathroom bill of uh, North Carolina I was a little surprised, to be honest, when they passed the bill that immediately there were businesses that came out and began to attack the state and some businesses began to leave. The NCAA said, we're not going to have these tournaments here anymore. What, I'm, what I want you to see is that there is this pressure that the Christians are separated, that the Christians are removed. We have that desire. The world has that desire for us as well. So what is Christ teaching? What are we to do? Are we? I mean, we want to separate, the world wants us to separate, but what does Christ say? Because that's all that really matters. Look at verse 18. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them in the world. Jesus said we are not to withdraw from the world, but instead we are to be salt, a preservative in a world that is corrupt. We are to be light in a world of spiritual darkness. So Jesus said, I have sent them into the world. Separation from sin, but not withdrawal from the world. We withdraw from evil. Verse number 15, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We are not to withdraw as followers of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. We are not to withdraw from the world we are to withdraw from evil. Now when, when he speaks of the world here, obviously he is not speaking of this physical world. Because the Bible says that God created this world and declared that it was good. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So when, when we read this, he is not speaking of this physical world, then what is he speaking of? He is referring to this world's sinful system, the system of this world. We see it in business, and sometimes the world's business system is sinful. The reason for that is profit is the motive regardless as to the cost, and as Christians, integrity is to be our motive regardless as to the loss. You see... In the world system, you're to make a profit. In other words, the end justifies the means. And I know that a business should make a profit because it is, uh, that is what it's all about. It is making a profit. No problem with that as long as there's integrity. See, there has to be integrity in it. And when it becomes that we have to make a profit regardless as to what it costs, that is evil. Integrity drives is the motivation of the Christian. Integrity is more important than the other. Politics, well, the world system is evil oftentimes. Now, I'm not talking about candidates. They may or may not be evil. I don't know their heart, but neither do you. I know that some of you think you do, but you don't. And I don't either. So I'm not talking about that, but what we can do is to look at their policies, to look at the issues, and ask the question, are their positions evil? Because I don't know their heart. Well, if that is so, certainly the church should 
remove itself from the world system. We should not engage in the system of the world. And yet I'm fearful that oftentimes we do. I have people say to me sometimes, well, that church runs 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, whatever it is. God is really blessing that church. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But, but the criteria that you give, then you'd have to say that NASCAR is spiritual. <laughs> you, you see, our call as the church of God is faithfulness. We are to be faithful to him. We're to be faithful to his word. Hopefully we can be faithful to God and we can be faithful to the word of God and there are people who are genuinely interested in the word of God and the church does grow. The church should grow. The New Testament church did grow. But we must first of all make sure that we are being faithful to the word of God. It is not to get the crowd, it is to build the church the world system is evil and so Jesus says in verse number 15 keep them from the evil one which is also echoed in the Lord's prayer what we call the Lord's prayer deliver us from evil how are we delivered from evil we're supposed to be in the world not of the world but in the world we don't withdraw from the world yes it's uncomfortable to us it can be uncomfortable in many places, in many ways. So how then are we delivered from evil? First is through prayer. E.M. Bounds wrote, God has of his own motion placed himself under the law of prayer and has obligated himself to answer the prayers of men. He has ordained prayer, a means whereby he will do things through men as they pray, which he would not otherwise do. Yes, sometimes we want to withdraw into a monastery, do we not? Sometimes we want to separate ourselves from the world because it's evil. So then how do you separate yourself from evil? Through prayer. One of the things that is encouraging to me, and I was talking with Seal about it earlier, I have not seen as much prayer in the church as I have in recent days and may it be something that is growing because we come to the understanding that God is our only hope and so we look to him in prayer. You, you want to separate yourself from evil then it comes through prayer, it comes through self-respect. Parents, teach your children self-respect. If you want to deliver your children from evil, teach them self-respect. There was a group that came to President Garfield and made an offer to him that was questionable. And he said, I, I don't feel right about this. I don't think that this, is, uh, that this is right. I don't feel right about being involved in it. And it was said to him, but no one will ever know. To which he replied, President Garfield will know and I have to sleep with him. Teach your children self-respect. Teach them to be responsible. See, today there seems that there is no one responsible for what they do. It's someone else's fault. 
The responsibility lies elsewhere. No, it's me. Teach them self-respect. Teach them responsibility. I'm responsible. You know what? I'll not say this, but I'm old enough to say what I want. If I'm overweight, it's because I eat too much. It's not somebody else's fault. We, we blame, we have become a, a society of sissies and victims. It's always someone else's fault. No, it isn't. And if we are ever going to overcome evil, then we're going to have to accept responsibility for our actions. Teach your children to be responsible for themselves and to respect themselves. And then we overcome the presence of evil with the presence of Christ. James chapter 4 verse number 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We withdraw from evil while engaged in the world because sanctification is separation. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Jesus is praying for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctified means to set apart. W.E. Vine says sanctification means separation to God. Sanctification is used in the New Testament of the separation of the believer from evil things and ways. Now, sanctification is a theological word. You're familiar with it. You've heard it. It is both an act and also a process. Sanctification is an act, it is also a process. It is an act in that when I am converted, when I give my life to Jesus Christ at conversion, then I am set apart into the body of Christ. That is an action. When a person trusts Christ as Savior, then they are set apart to the body of Christ. That is an action. After having been set apart to God in the body of Christ, then the process is that I begin to put sin out of my life. That is the process. So sanctification then is both a, an act and it is also a process. But sanctification is not withdrawal from the world. Some people think that sanctification, if I am a sanctified saint, then I withdraw from the world. I would think Jesus was sanctified, would you not? And yet he was engaged in the world, socially. He went to a party. He went to a wedding. People liked having him around. He was social. He was involved even in organized religion. He went to the synagogue where he taught As a Christian, we do not withdraw from the world. We are engaged in the world. Jesus was engaged in the world. We are engaged in the world. In business, I'm, I'm grateful for businessmen and women, those who are out there, because I have great respect for you. 
that's really where it matters out there in the world where you're living for the Lord as salt and light in the world. What is the purpose of living a sanctified life? Jesus prayed that you might be sanctified. Now what is the purpose for it? Why does he want you to be sanctified? Because it honors his name. You see, when, when you are a child of God and you're living a sanctified life, a life that is set apart from sin to God, then you honor his name. I remember as a boy when I would go somewhere, sometimes my mother would say to me, sometimes she would say, remember who you are. Sometimes she would say, remember whose you are. You see, being sanctified, I'm remembering whose I am. I belong to the Lord Jesus, and therefore I need to reflect the Lord Jesus. It honors His name, and it benefits those who are lost. Folks, when I live a sanctified life, when you live a sanctified life, a life that is separated from sin, separated to God, then the lost person can see you and say, you know what? There's a sinner who's become a son of God, a child of God. There's someone who was on the way to hell and now they're on the way to heaven. And that gives them hope. When they see a sanctified person, someone who is living their life for God, not perfect, but someone who is living their life for God, set apart to God, set apart from sin, it gives them hope. It is also a benefit to us. You ought to live a sanctified life for no other reason because of the benefit it brings to you. What does it give you? Joy. Look at verse 13. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus said, I want you to have joy. I don't know. You know I, I know that you get around a lot of Christians and you think, I don't know what they got, but I sure don't want it. Folks, let me tell you something. You, you, can, you can be religious without any joy, but you can't be a Christian without joy because Christ gives us joy. And that should be a characteristic of our life. If you know the Lord, you should have joy in your heart. I'm not, and I'm not talking about that goofy stuff, you know, people going around, well, praise the Lord. I mean, you know, they're falling apart and they're, praise the Lord. Well, it's wonderful if they want to do it. But I, I'm talking about a real joy that's in your heart. Sometimes you face difficult times and sometimes you have difficult circumstances but in the depth of your heart there's joy because Jesus is there he gives us joy unity verse number 21 that they may all be one even as thou father art in me and I in thee that they also may be in us that the world may believe that thou didst send me we enjoy unity when we are living as the family of God sanctified by the presence of God. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.27 only, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Everybody comes up with all of these things about unity. How can we have unity? The church needs to come together. We all need to be unified. Well, folks, we can only do that when he is Lord. When he is Lord. Let me close because you're ready to go. We are to live separated from the world system 
but sanctified to God, set apart to God. That was the prayer of Jesus. We are in this world set apart to God. Now let me ask you this question. Do you look more like the world or do you look more like Jesus? When you consider your life as others consider your life, do you look more like the Lord or do you look more like the world? Father, I pray that you will reveal to us what you see and that we might live sanctified lives, lives that are set apart to you. Father, I pray for those today who need to make commitments to you as a part of that sanctification process in their life. I pray that you'll give them the courage to do so. I pray for those who have never trusted Christ that today they would. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we'll stand, the choir will sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, that you would come and receive him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.